you were there. That was a wonderful, wonderful time, wasn't it? I thought it was just an exceptional time. God was really helping us. And uh, it's just good to see you again this morning. I have my beautiful wife right down here. That's Pam there in the red. And then my brother surprised me today, Brother Tom and Diane, his, his uh, wife. And uh, he's been a long time something around here in, in Oklahoma City for a long time at least. So, so good to see you guys. Thank you for coming over. Um, yeah, and Alan, thank you. Uh, two Alans that I've known the longest here are elders, first elders, right, in the church, I suppose. And, you know, neither one of you have changed over all these years. You're the same old guys you've always been, <laughs> always. <laughs> all right, a little bit of gray hair, yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately. I had a really frightening birthday, and um, it put me a, a whole lot closer to 100 years of age uh, and and really, it was a sober sobering one. I had not th- ever thought that I remember at a birthday time very seriously about what was ahead. But somehow, at this particular birthday, um, I have been pondering uh, a lot about what I need to be doing with my life. Somehow, uh, it's just really got me uh, concerned that I could possibly miss doing the best thing in my life over these last few years that I have, if the Lord is gracious even to give those years to me, right? Uh, So I've been thinking, what is the most profitable thing that I could do for the rest of my days? Now, some of you might answer that question by saying, well, you know, eating and drinking is pretty profitable, and I grant grant you that's true. That's That's always a good answer. And also, it's a great answer to say glorifying God in everything that we do, that obviously is is an overarching concern that we have about every part of our life. But I think I found in a very familiar psalm what I want to do, focus on for the rest of my days, that I think is the most profitable thing I could do. And that is Psalm 1. So let's turn to Psalm 1 together. That's very familiar to you, I know, I hope it is. Psalm 1. Let's everybody turn because we're going to try to dissect it here over the next few minutes, all right? Psalm 1. If you read all of the Psalms, uh, the 150 Psalms, which I'm sure many of you have done through the years, you will know in a way what Psalm 1 is about. It stands at the beginning of, of a, a, a long chain of amazing meditations on God and on nature and on winning victories uh, in battle and God's great exploits. Uh, it's a book, isn't it, of... Wouldn't you agree, it's a book of meditations that the psalmist David and others have, have uh, and has been compiled together as a, as a kind of a hymn book and a poetry book, a book that is just chock full of deep feeling and thoughts. You know, a poet is a, is a feeler, right? A, a poet is a, is a feeler who, who writes down truths with with passion and that's what the psalms are really all about and there at the very beginning of it we have psalm 1 where david uh explains what i would like to do the rest of my life and i hope you adopt my concern for your days ahead and will agree with me that this this surely is the best thing we could ever do with our lives so i want to read this a couple of times for you all right i'm going to read 
out of the New American Standard. I'll read it two times, just six verses. And just listen carefully to what the Lord is saying here. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me read it again. Just listen carefully. See how it's structured, how it's fitting together here. Listen to it carefully. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Now, look closely at those six verses, and you'll see that it's structured very simply. The first three verses, you could draw a line right after those first three verses across the Psalm, uh, the first three verses tell us about the characteristics and blessings of the righteous man, right? And then those following three verses, the last three verses, talk to us about the characteristics and curse of the wicked man. So it's a, it's a contrasting study, isn't it, on the righteous and the wicked person. Let's talk for a minute then about the simple things that he says that we can devote our lives to that are characteristic of the righteous man. He says, first of all, in verse 1, that there is something that the righteous man or woman avoids. He says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, you might notice a kind of progression in the language there that some people see, and it very likely is meant by the, by the poet, by David. He talks about, first of all, walking in the counsel of the wicked. Then he talks about standing, and then he talks about sitting. So, in a way, there is a progression in the effects, it appears, of unguarded fellowship with the world. You know, um, I, I make big efforts in my life, actually, to spend time with unbelieving people. And I hope you do as well. And it seems contrary to what's being said right here in this passage, but there, I, I have a couple of places that I go every week. I, I spend time every week with people. One, one of those places is in 
has been for many decades going to progressive churches and spending time there, just meeting people, befriending people, people who don't hear the gospel. And I feel it's just incumbent upon me to bring the gospel to these people. So our church meets in the evening, so we have a, I have an opportunity then to be in, in churches that are not like your church at all, but are just simply not believing the gospel in, in, the, in the right way. And perhaps some of you came out of some of those churches or grew up in them, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. A little bit of ritual, a little bit of this and that, but that's, they're, 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 they're not Bible-believing people. They're not understanding typically understanding the gospel in any clarity at all. And so that seems to be contrary to what's being said here. He says, be careful not to do that. He says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But what he's talking about here is the careless, uh, is the, sort of the careless connections that we make with unbelieving people. Right? I would say maybe a good word would be un, the unguarded uh, exposure that we give to unbelieving people. Listening to their counsel, for instance. You know, um, it's they're, they're, everybody gives counsel, right? And the person who's been through four divorces will give you a lot of counsel about women, you know, and how you ought to do it right. So you can find people who have a lot to say out of their experience uh, in, in life that will lead you astray. So you have to be, you have to be very, you can't be careless and unguarded in your relationship with these people and pick up the counsel that they're giving you. In a funny way, advertisement on television is like counsel, isn't it? Telling you what you need to have, what you need to do, what you need to be like. And a lot of that is so ungodly, isn't it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. So be careful like that. And then he says, you could move beyond just merely hearing the opinions of these people and receiving counsel that these people freely give out, uh, freely give out, but you could find yourself uh, purposefully standing in the pathway of these sinners, so get a bit more of a connection to them, being in the places where they are, right? Trying to be with them where they are, in again in the careless or unguarded way, and finally you could find yourself, as some have, to be actually sitting down, sort of, you know, sort of. Uh, adopting in such a way that you've kind of calcified your opinions a bit and you begin to pick up their habits a little bit. You, maybe you're actually scoffing at what they scoff at and joking about what they joke about and, and maybe you're finding yourself being profane in ways you didn't, didn't ever think you would. So the Lord is right about what he's saying here. We should not do this without deep consideration Though we have obligations when we're on mission. So anytime we're, anytime we're purposefully connecting with unbelievers, and I recommend that you do this, when you're purposefully connecting with unbelievers, then you are on mission, right? To represent Christ as a lighted person and hopefully be able to present the gospel in clear ways that will actually be instrumental in their in their conversion. I really love doing that. I go to the coffee shop every week. I, I don't always like to go to the coffee shop, but I go to the coffee shop because of these friends that I'm meeting. I could name, I could name 10 names right now, people in various stages of discussion about the gospel 
That's a different matter. That's something we need to do. So the person who is a, a righteous person realizes that he or she is susceptible to um, the influences of people around us. And you'd be a fool to think that you would not pick up some things if you're not being careful uh, in relationship with other people. So the righteous man avoids some things. The righteous man and woman also, it says here in the passage, delights in something. So look at this in, uh, in this next verse. But, he says, his delight is in what? What does he say? Say it out loud. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That was the, the extent of the Bible that, that David had when he wrote this. I don't think it's any problem to extrapolate that all of Scripture would be included if David could talk about this today, right? So he delights, he or she delights, that's a beautiful word, isn't it? Delights in the law of the Lord. Everything in religion, everything about our experience with Jesus Christ must begin in the heart. The heart is a critical issue. If you follow the Old Testament scriptures and read through from beginning to end, you're going to see that word heart appearing over and over and over and over again. What the Lord wants from us is a heart that is inclined toward him. And the person who is uh, going to be a righteous person has delight in what God is saying. He delights in that. Now some people, I've actually had this discussion with people at different times and they they have made this, uh, I think, inaccurate statement to say that people like myself who like to spend a lot of time in the Bible and thinking a lot about Scripture could have kind of a bibliolatry, kind of a worship of the Bible. That's what they're saying, right? I think that's almost impossible. Maybe that, maybe that is possible, but it's almost impossible. Let me illustrate how I think of this. You know, years ago when I was in a, a, taking a trip to South Africa, and I was there for several weeks, and um, I had my 40th birthday while I was there. That was a long time ago, Ellen and Ellen, a long time ago. But I had my 40th birthday. My wife wasn't there. We were... We, you know, we, my young wife at the time wasn't there. We had a first child named Benjamin. He was about two years of age. And uh, I was going to have to celebrate my 40th birthday all by myself uh, in South Africa. And sure enough, there I was on the day that my birthday came. I was in the kitchen of a house where I was staying. The people were all gone from the house. So it was a beautiful home. had one of those half doors where you could look out into the garden. The weather, weather was perfect. And there I was with a little box that my wife sent me. And I opened that box, and in that box were things that she had said and to, wanted to say to me. And, and uh, then there was a cassette. Now, most of you people don't know what a cassette is, but it's a, it's, it's a way to hear some audio, okay? So, <laughs> and I had a cassette player with me, because that's what you did. You carried your cassette player with you. And uh, I put on that little cassette, and it was a cassette of my two-year-old son just puttering around and Pam talking to him, and just a whole day of it. I mean, she just recorded that whole day. I just melted listening to that. I mean, I, when I, I had been gone several weeks, I was 
so emotional. I cried. Uh, my shoulders were going up and down. Uh, it, was, it was tough to listen to that. But you know what? I listened to it again. And I read again all the things that were said. And then I listened again. And I read some more. And I did it over and over again. Why? Because the heart delights. I just delighted in my wife, in my, in my child. And, and that caused me to do some very important things, right? So this is where our relationship with God starts. It starts in a, with a changed heart, a ch- heart that has been attracted to the beauty of Christ. Um, once you didn't see that beauty, your eyes were blind, you couldn't, really, you couldn't really comprehend what you were looking at. You know, you can look at a great painting and not even know it's a great painting, right? You wouldn't give $5 for it in the garage sale. <laughs> but, you know, when God opens your eyes to see... He's attracting, that, he's attracting your heart, the seat of your affections. And he overwhelms that natural resistance that is found in every single person in this world. Everybody resists God, right? And he overwhelms by showing us, by showing us the beauty of Christ, and he draws us to himself. And the person who is a righteous person has this commonality with every other righteous person. Uh, they're, they're not just legalists. They're people, according to Jesus' view of righteousness, they're not just legalists, right, trying to earn their way, uh, you know, to please God in some way so that he, they would be accepted by God. No, they've been accepted by the one who is so attractive they cannot take their eyes off of him, right? They want, they want whatever he gives. This is characteristic of every righteous person in this room today. He delights in something. Not only avoids things, anybody might be able to do that, but he delights in something, and that something has been revealed to him, and that is the beauty of Jesus Christ. He once was blind, now he sees. That delight leads to another step. The delight, as my story told, actually, that delight leads to meditation. So you meditate on something all the time. And what you delight in, what you really find beautiful and interesting, is what is the subject matter of your, of your mind's musings and, and ponderings. So he says, yes, he avoids careless, unguarded relationships that could take him down and turn him in the wrong way. He has a heart that is changed, and he delights in the law of the Lord And in that law, in God's word, he meditates day and night. So that that meditation, meditation is something that comes out of the heart of an individual. And again, as you read through the rest of those Psalms, you see... Uh, you see the heart language, don't you? Isn't it right? As you're reading through the Psalms, you see that kind of heart language being expressed about the delights that the the author is, uh, what he's caught up in, what he appreciates, what he values, what he's affectionate uh, toward. And so the person, just in a simple way to think about it, is just, he just has a heart toward God and anything that God has said he wants to do, like wants to read and wants to ponder and think about. Just like the person who might be overseas with a, on a, on a uh, military mission, let's say. And he's 
fighting a war, and he gets a letter from his wife. What's he going to do? Just like me, he's going he's to meditate on that. He's going to read that letter over and over and over again. So it is with the Scriptures for the person who is righteous and has, a, has that new heart, you see. He's going to meditate on the things of God day and night. Now, the Lord says there's not only something to avoid here and something that this righteous person delights in, characteristic of every righteous person in this room, and something that he therefore does. He meditates on the things of God. But there's something, he says, he becomes. So in the next verse, in verse the third verse, he says this. What will this person be like who is the righteous person? What, are, what is the characteristic and blessing of the righteous person? The blessing is found in verse 3. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. Well, this is quite a statement, isn't it? So the person, again, avoiding the right things to avoid, delighting in the right thing, because he loves the Lord, and he's seen the Lord. His eyes have been opened with that heart toward the Lord. He loves and meditates and ponders the things that the Lord says, and he becomes something. He becomes something different. This transformation takes place in the life of every person made righteous by God, every person who's come into this relationship. You see a difference in their life. And you see that difference uh, as a growing difference in their lives. So let's see what he says. This is a beautiful metaphor. He says, you'll be like a tree planted, not at the top of a mountain, but by the, the rivers of water, the streams of water. The, the idea here, of course, is about abundance, right? Abundance of nourishment and water that is needed to be uh, verdant and be alive. Uh, he's, he's planted. It's, action has taken place on him, right? So, so he's being acted upon, in other words. He's, he's put in a place where he receives, or she receives, all the nourishment. This meditator is receiving all the nourishment that he or she needs to do anything God might require of him or her. It's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. That fruit is that excess life that just not only keeps the tree going and alive, but produces more, right? It produces it, it, it's extra life that's coming out in fruit as it is needed. And his leaf doesn't wither. You ever wondered, you just look at these tall pine trees and that last little pine needle up there in the very top of that how in the world does that happen right but if you're planted in the right place then God has a way right of just taking his life that he's providing for you nurturing you and giving you what you need right to the last part of your life you're just you're filled with life you're flushed with life really from the Lord and then he makes this amazing statement and whatever he does he prospers so what he's saying here is that He's talking, uh, uh, I mean, he's, he's talking about something that is con consistently true no matter what your, your experience might be. So in other words, if you, uh, if you were in the middle of a desert, as far as physically, uh, 
he's saying, as long as the Lord is concerned, if you're doing this and delighting in the Lord, you're filled with life and by the streams of water. So in, in terms of your own spiritual reality, this is always true, no matter what kind of physical situation you're going through. You might have a very trying situation. You might be caregiving, which is really difficult for you, or you might have uh, physical issues, or you might have financial issues of this or that or the other problems coming at you from different sides. It doesn't make any difference because what God is saying, this consistency exists for the purpose you know, of your, your, your nourishment. He is constantly giving you all you need. He fills you with life. He gives you the fruit you need at the time you need it, right? And he causes your life to actually prosper. I've got a, as an illustration, we've got a, one of a, our older couples at, in the church uh, where I'm one of the uh, several pastors. And uh, he had a stroke not long ago. And um, it was uh, fairly debilitating, and he had to go into the therapy and so forth that was necessary. And then, as he was recovering, finally getting, learning how to put one foot in front of the other and to be able to walk and, you know, get his speech right, uh, he fell, and he broke his hip. And then after he broke his hip, he spent a long time trying to recover, and guess what? The doctor had messed up on the surgery in terms of the pin and his hip, and they had to go back in again and deal with that hip again. And he's in process now of just over months and months and months of time. But this brother is a great meditator. He and his wife are exceptional meditators. I remember writing them just to say, you know, walk in the strength of his might. She said, that was the very verse I was meditating on this morning. And she makes little songs up for the verses to teach children. And she said, I woke up singing that very thing you mentioned to me this morning. She was always, and they have just been amazing to me as they've gone through this difficult passage in their life because the, the spiritual reality is that they are by streams of the water, right? That God has planted them there and is giving them all the nourishment that they need. Right? There's a different, we live in a different realm actually, don't we? Than what we're experiencing physically. And praise God for this, right? Isn't that an amazing thing? What a beautiful idea. I mean, what a beautiful concept that is, that no matter what we face, we can experience the very thing that someone is talking about here. At any time, you can be in that place. That's the spiritual reality, no matter what the physical reality might be. That's so encouraging to me, right? He says that whatever you do, in whatever you do, you will prosper. There's a simple answer for this, because if the person is, we're so constructed that the way we think is the way we behave, right? So as we, as we fill our minds with what is God's will, as we continue to put that in there, meditate on it, ponder it, phrase by phrase, word by word, just thinking carefully about what God is saying in that context, and really, really pondering it, like you do for someone you've heard from that you love very dearly then you're being transformed and you will behave according to the way that your your brain your mind is working so it's an incredible promise for us i mean can you wonder why i would like to do this the rest of my life i've got so many years left 
I just want to do that. I would like to prosper in everything that I do. It's, a, it's an amazing statement that he's making here, but I do believe he means it. I believe the, the man or woman, the righteous man or woman, who's doing these things will see transformation that leads to the right thing, the prosperous thing being done. According to what God calls prosperous, obviously. right? What God defines as prosperous will take place in your life. Why wouldn't I want to do that as the most profitable thing that I could possibly do for the rest of my life, right? All right, what about the characteristics and the curse of the wicked man in the last three verses? Just quickly, let's look at this. The characteristics and the curse of the wicked person. He says the wicked are not so. So in other words, all this benefit, everything that we just been describing, that's just not true for the wicked person. And they've got counsel from their, from their buddies, right? They can go to the bar and sit down and listen to the counsel of people who are interested in them and can give them advice. They've got that. But everything we've talked about here, this beautiful, verdant, fruitful life, prosperous life as far as what God defines as prosperous, right? All of that that is ours, it's not theirs. The wicked are not so. They're not like that. Just turn it around the opposite way. Reverse it. That's the way the wicked are. Right? The wicked are not like that. But they are like chaff which the wind blows away. You know the idea of chaff which you take the grain and you throw it up in the air. The wind blows the hull husk off of it. Blows it away so that you get the kernel. Uh, they're like the, the part that blows away when the wind comes. Right? They just they're not, they don't have rootedness like we have. You have an amazing, you're an amazingly different purpose. You're out, here on, you're, you're out here in a different, you're out here in the middle of space, right? On this little ball. And yet, because you know God and because you have the truth and because you give your heart to the truth, you have a sense of being rooted, right? In a, and really, you're just out there, right? In space. But you're rooted because God is the, it's the maker of all of that. They're not like that. They're not like that at all. They're just like they're just like floatsome in the middle of the in, in the middle of the uh, atmosphere somehow, or in the middle of an ocean. They're just nothing. They don't have that rootedness that we enjoy so much. Therefore, he says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. You say, well, wait a minute. Don't aren't the wicked going to be in the judgment? They will be in the judgment. What he means by this is the wicked do not stand justified in the judgment. They will not be they will be not they will not be right before God in the judgment. They will be there, but they won't stand. Right? The believer, the righteous man, is going to stand justified in the judgment. The non believer will not stand justified in the judgment. He will be judged. Nor, he says, are sinners, nor will sinners be in the assembly of the righteous. I think here again he's talking eschatologically, he's talking about the future. They will not be in the future gathering of the believers. So they won't be justified at the judgment. They will not stand among the believers in the future world that we experience. For the Lord, he says, knows the way of the righteous. I think here he's saying he knows the outcome of the righteous. 
uh, and he knows, he understands what happens to the righteous, and he is watching over them. He knows their way, which ends in this beautiful eschatological end, right, that we, we enjoy with the Lord forever and ever. But the way of the wicked will perish or end, and I'm, say, I'm stating what I think many people believe about this passage, will end in uh, eternal destruction. It will perish. Their way will perish. The death that never dies, as Jeremy Taylor said. And that is what their life will end like. And it's a very sad, sad thing to think about. Your mom and dad or your brother and your sister or your aunt and your uncle or your friend who are among the wicked people and are not, are not like, like God has graciously made you, right? So I think this is such a, a straightforward thing that we ought to really be attracted to the simplicity of this, right? Now, I want, to, I want to ask you to think carefully with me just a few more minutes about how you might consider becoming what we're talking about and reading about here in, in Psalm 1. What we're saying is that what we need, what we will do if we are righteous people is, a, is not only avoid, but delight in what God says and will meditate on it day and night. So obviously what we know we must do, what we know we will do or must do and will delight in doing is actually to spend Time in his word, right? We'll want to spend time thinking about what he has said. Uh, and we'll want to keep our Bibles open. We'll want to read the scriptures and have plan, a plan to read the scripture and to meditate, to think about those things, to ponder those things. And with our heart fully enjoying and, and relishing what we're, what we're reading. There are many ways to do that. And I'm being very simple with people. Some of you are very mature Christians, but I'm just I'm I'm going to say it because I know what happens to us. I know sometimes you you fade in some of your affection for the Lord in this area. So I want to really encourage us all uh, to to become meditators and to think about the rest of your life being built around this idea of meditating on Scripture. Um, one way to do it is to obviously is to is to listen to scripture. One of the things we one of the things we have learned in our ministry as we teach the Bible, we do a lot of what we call Bible intensives. We're teaching people how to study the Bible, how to think through scripture carefully. But one of the things we've learned is that uh, one of the most effective things that we can do as believers is to reread the same text. <laughs> It's a simple idea, but to reread the same book of the Bible over and over again. Now, I'm, I'm a great believer in reading all the way through the Scriptures, and I've done that many times, many different ways. I suggest it. I think we should do that. That's very important to get the whole picture. But we also should add to this reading and rereading the same text of Scripture. And here's why. When you, when you go all the way through the Bible... I've 
you know, I've done it many times, you know, pretty much a, uh, once a year at least, but many times even a shorter compass of time. But here's the common problem with that. When I get to a hard passage like Leviticus something, and uh, I just blip over it. And I'm going to be back next year, right? So I'll, I'll come back around next year, but I just blip over it again the next year. And then I go another year and I blip over it again the next year. Has that been characteristic of you? The hard passages don't get much attention. But rereading the scripture becomes a very effective way to be forced to actually think about what in the world does this mean? It starts making sense to us when we reread text of scripture. For instance, I, I would suggest something like this, rereading Reading and rereading the book of Genesis. Genesis says how many chapters? 50 chapters. Uh, that's a lot. 50 chapters. But suppose you re- went through the book of Genesis in, in, in two weeks. Five days a week. Give you a couple of days. He give you Sunday to be all about whatever you're doing. Another day to make up. But just say on a five-day plan. And you were reading, uh, what would that be? Five chapters a day. Is that right? Now that doesn't take really that long. So if you were reading five chapters a day, every two weeks you could go through the book of Genesis. Think about that. So when you get through with the book of Genesis, what do you do? Read it again. When you get through again, what do you do? Well, you read it again. You get through, read it again. And read it several times. You might want to read it three months worth. You might, you know, or even longer. And then move on to another book. This was a great way to help your mind think through, I mean, to really meditate much deeper as you start feeling the context. After about the third and fourth time you're reading through that that uh, repeatedly, it's going to start making a whole lot more sense than it did before. This is a great way. I mean, this is an incredibly good way to do it. And it, and it doesn't take that long to do. The idea is just when you get through, read it again. Okay. Some of the shorter books, like let's say like First Peter or something, you could read once a day, couldn't you? Or the book of Philippians. You could read that once a day. Think about how easy that is. You could read that once a day. It usually takes about five minutes to read through a chapter. Uh, you can read it out loud. You can read it, uh, you know, read it silently. But when you get through those five chapters, the next day, read it again, read it again, read it again. You've read it five times in one week. What will you know about the scripture after you've read it five times? What about 10 times or 15 or 20 times or 30 times when you read through that book? And then you can move to another book. Do you understand the, the idea here? It's, it's like the greatest unknown secret for really understanding the scripture is to, is to expose yourself to the same text over and over again. I'm just being practical with you. This is a way to do it that will really sincerely, we've seen it many times, it will sincerely help you uh, in, in ways that you just probably, if you haven't done this sort of thing, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But it, it's so helpful to read and reread. All right? It's good to listen to it. That's a way you could do it. I, one time I was down in the kitchen and there was my wife and she had, she had her little MP3 player at the time in her ear. And uh, I said, what are you listening to? She said, uh, Romans. I said, Really? I didn't know you were listening to Romans. How many times have you listened to it, do you think? And she said, I think about 50 times. And she wasn't through with it yet. She did it, she did it longer. Now, she may not know from listening, you know, what the verse markings are very well. But if you start the passage, she'll finish it, right? Because she knows what is really being said as a letter. Now, she doesn't always listen 
really closely because she do, she's doing things, right? She's working. She's just listening while she's working. But she get a lot of times she is really concentrating on, on that. And over time, it just, it just makes a difference, right? And she has done that through many, many books of the Bible. And it doesn't take long before you've done that with several books of the Scripture, several letters or books of the Bible in, in a way that could really, really benefit your life. So we become meditators, you know. We become meditators on the Scripture. We, we just, we, you know, our mind thinks about something all the time. We're always thinking about something. Why not try to make it much of that time about the Scriptures and see what God will do to refashion uh, your life? Um, and I found out through listening that that. There's a wonderful app, the ESV app, and as I listen to the ESV app, um, the, the the app that they put out has a way to just slow it down on a sliding scale, not not picking a number, but slow it down on a sliding scale. I've always played it faster, try to get through sometimes because I can listen. We typically can listen faster than we uh, than people speak, but I found there's tremendous benefit meditating by turning it down slower, right? And so I'll just walk down the neighborhood or walk around my house or listening and listening and listening. So I'm giving you a little hint here of something that is really powerfully transformational for your life and helps us become meditators night and day. Go to bed at night listening to Scripture. A husband and wife might want to go to bed and pick another book and just just keep the Bible there beside the bed and one of one of you read and, and through a, a a book that you're reading through, and just read until somebody falls asleep, till he starts snoring, and uh, and then just put your marker down there and close it up, pick it up the next night and do the same thing. You can have that little additional. Think about that. How you can go over and over and over, and you'll find yourself uh, in time actually memorizing that text of scripture after you've read it so many times. So I'm giving you something that I think could be really helpful. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm about through here, uh, but years ago I was in uh, Basel, Switzerland, and I was teaching, and, and uh, I went up into, I was in a, 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 row, a, a you know, apartment complex, and there were flats just like it on the opposite side of the street. So I went up stairs, we were about three or four up. And floors up, and I looked out the window. And when I looked out the window, I could see um, all these apartments, and the light was on. And they, it, at that time, I don't know if it's still true, but they, at that time, they often used kind of a scrim curtain, and then another curtain, you know. So they had kind of a, an, uh, you know, a, a, just a what we call a scrim. So. You could actually see the light on, and you could see a little bit of what was going on, and I wasn't being voyeuristic here, but I just didn't notice something. Everybody, every, it seemed like every little box, uh, somebody would just get up. This was several years ago. Somebody would get up and move up to the television. The little blinking television was going on. You could just see it in every one of these little boxes. And then somebody would get up, and they'd turn the channel. Back then you had to... Actually do that, and it was another world ago, okay? You had to actually change the channel, and then they'd go back and sit back down again. And this was just happening, box after box, row after row of that apartment. And I thought to myself, man, there is a mighty influence here going on. 
Right? This is a powerful thing going on. Almost every one of those rooms had a television going and people listening to it. And I was just meditating about that amazing control. That was just one block, you know, just that controlling element in a city and in a country and in a world that we live in, particularly the Western world. The next day I was out and about and we were we were driving along and the, the Rhone River runs right through Basel and it's fast moving river and we passed by a ferry that was unlike any I'd ever seen before it was um, it, it didn't have any the ferry had no engine at all there was just a steel uh, you know there was just a steel line from one end to the other thick steel uh, line going from one end to the other and this was attached to that this ferry was attached and it simply the way they would go from one side to the other with the current moving very fast was they would turn the turn the ferry to a certain direction and the the pressure the friction against it would move it from one side to the other. Do you get the idea how that would work? It's pretty clever. I, I had never really seen that. I, I understand there are such like that, but it was just an amazing thing. No engine needed at all, just going from one side to the other. And uh, having had this fresh experience the night before, of course, it came to my mind, oh, man. You know, if our kids and and my wife and my family and our friends uh, try to get from one side to the other on their own, they are not going to make it. They're going to be washed up. They're going to go right along with this mighty current going on in front of me. And the only hope for them is to be attached to the steel line of the truth of God's Word. Right? So it's sort of transitional. It cuts right through from through the current, right? Through the culture that we live in, through those um, ugly things that God, that people are trying to, and the enemy is trying to get into our minds. We can cut right through that culture with the Word of God. But we must remain fastened to the Scriptures. And brothers and sisters, you've got to be a righteous person in your living. By meditating on the Word of God. Amen. So let's bow our heads and pray about this right now. Everybody close your eyes. Thank you for listening. Close your eyes. Thank you, Lord, for this. We appreciate this passage. We appreciate the sincerity of it, the simplicity of it, the beauty of it. It is so true. It is true in our experience. It's true about our heart. It's true about the wicked. It's true about the righteous. It has eternal meaning and has immediate meaning in our lives. So, Father, help us to be absolutely unique among all the worldly people around us who have not yet come to know your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to take good advantage of what we have the remaining days of our life. Help me and these people to genuinely, sincerely devote ourselves to what we love, 
that will transform our thinking and transform our minds and our actions so that we do things and bear the fruit of people who are righteous by filling our hearts and our minds with these truths. Please help us, Lord, to do that and be honored through it. Amen. Now look this way, one final statement, I'm through. Um, Everybody I know says they're rushed and I've got a lot to do. Everybody I know. We like to say that. It's kind of a sign of importance, right? We're busy. But wouldn't it be true that you could do more than you were doing in this area? Would that be true about you? Hmm? I don't want to see nobody's moving their head. Are you moving your head? I can't see you out there. Isn't it true that you could do more? You could go further. Would you regret it if you did more? Hmm? I don't think you would. I've never regretted the efforts I've given to thinking about truth in the Bible. Never regretted that. Always wished that I had more of it in my heart and my soul. Right? Always wished that. So I'd like for you to leave today being determined as a Christian soldier (laughs) that you're going to take some further step in this. You're going to be more serious about your time and you can get up earlier. You can find additional ways to add to the intake of Scripture. You might have multiple ways. But just determining you're going to add to what's already going on for the glory of God and for your own joy and purpose and spiritual prosperity that God invites you to enjoy. Would you try to do that? Would you just think about that? Just if you're willing to do that, I, I think, I think, man, there's no telling what life will be like in a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years. If you devote yourself to that, even that more, that bit more, going on with God, getting deeper into these things that we know are right. I'm counting on you doing that. I hope you'll tell me about that one day, that I'm, I'm, I made that decision to go deeper, and it made all the difference in my life. Amen? Thank you so much, brother.